Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. Good evening. My name is Titus York, and just in case you are wondering, I am better looking than the normal York you see in this pulpit. Anyway, tonight I will be preaching from Joshua 1, 1 through 9, and I'd just like to express my gratitude for being given the opportunity to preach here tonight. Just thank you to Matt and all of Westminster that is uh, allowing me to do this, and I am very excited. I also am a little nervous, so welcome to my version of March Madness. Uh, But anyway, before I begin, I want to reiterate something that Matt told me when I first started my sermon prep. And if you were here last year, you would have heard Mike say the same thing. But he told me, Titus, there's nothing that you can bring to this sermon. There's no wisdom, no clarity, no understanding that you have on your own. For everything is a gift from God, and he will bring about the message tonight. Uh, But without further ado, I invite you to turn to Joshua 1, 1 through 9, and Uh, Follow along in the reading. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and less Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Dear Lord, once again, I just thank you for this opportunity, Lord, and I just pray that you'd be honored and glorified in all things tonight, Lord, and that none of this praise would go to me, Lord, but I'd be able to represent you here in this pulpit, Lord. And uh, I'd also just pray that you would bring understanding and clarity and you allow me to speak to these people to deliver the message that you want them to hear. Amen. I wonder how many of you remember the leaders after Abraham Lincoln or Winston Churchill. If you were to guess President Andrew Johnson and Prime Minister Anthony Eden, you'd be right. Unfortunately, both men have been viewed rather negatively by historians. Johnson is most noted for his failure in Reconstruction as he failed to take control of the South. Instead of taking leadership and ownership, he mainly let the South deal with the role that African Americans would play. Likewise, Eden is noted for his failure 
to manage the sewage crisis, which led to a major setback in British foreign policy, as well as their presence in the Middle East. Now, we can sympathize with both of these men as they had to follow two of their nation's greatest leaders, perhaps most respected. However, what about Joshua? Joshua is about to take the mantle of leadership after... And yet, we are about to see how God will equip Joshua for this purpose, even though Joshua is considered by all worldly standards to be a lesser leader than his predecessor, Moses. Well, how does God do this? First, through a command. Second, by a challenge. And third, through words of comfort. When I first started my sermon prep, the obvious command that struck out to me was to be strong and courageous. I mean, after all, when I was in BBS and we were singing the song, Have I Not Commanded You to Be Strong and Courageous? That's the main message you'd think. Now, this is definitely an important part of the passage, but if we take a closer look, the first command we actually see comes in verse 2. Here God instructs Joshua to lead the people and cross over the Jordan River. Now, just for context, the Jordan is 124 miles from its source to the Dead Sea. It's a little longer than that, but just in terms of uh, context here. The width is on average 33 feet, with the longest portion of about 60 feet, give or take. And the depth is about 6.5 feet, with 17 feet being the deepest. Now, in case you were wondering, I'm about 6'2", 6'3", so if I was just standing on my tippy toes, I might be able to make it through. My dad, on the other hand, adamantly told me that he would be able to make it. I suspect he's becoming delusional in his old age. (laughs) He's not as tall as he thinks he is. But to bring it back, I understand this was no crossing of the Delaware River like George Washington had done. However, this is an obstacle that required God's intervention. In chapter 4, there is a whole, all of chapter 4, however, is dedicated to the praise of God for this great act. And if we look to chapter 3, we see God parting the waters in order for all of Israel to walk across on dry land. Already, early in the book, we start to see how God is staying faithful to Joshua, but providing a path through an obstacle, and establishing him as leader of Israel. Now, at this point, you are probably saying, good, you told us about the first commandment, now get on to being strong and courageous. Well, you'd be wrong. Again, in verse 2, God's instructing Joshua to go into a land that he has promised to give them. Now, my text doesn't explicitly say it, but we can infer that God commands Joshua to go in there and take it, because the people of Canaan aren't just going to hand it over without a fight. Although they sh- probably should have, because God is great. Of- yeah. But anyway, Israel needs to go and conquer this land that God has given them. But you might be wondering, well, God promised to give him this land. Why does Israel need to take it? Which, that's a fair question. But if we look back to Genesis 22, we find the story of Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac. Now this, now, this seems strange to us because God had told, jo- had told Abraham sorry, that he was going to make his descendants greater than the, sky, than the stars in the sky. So why is he about to sacrifice his only son? Well, as we find out, God is merely testing Abraham This is only a test of faith and obedience to see if he truly has faith and trust in God. Well, in the same way, 
then in the same way God tests Abraham, God is also testing Joshua and the people of Israel. He wants to see if they will do as he asks, and they will trust that he will deliver the land as promised. The generation before certainly had not done that, and they were punished, as, as you can look back. Nonetheless, God will still use his people to accomplish his purposes by giving them commands and requiring of them faith and obedience to claim what has been promised to them. Now we arrive at the heart of God's command. I'm sure you're all excited. Three times within this passage, God commands Joshua to be strong and courageous. Good things come in threes, and so does his command. But it's important to note that God doesn't merely request or ask Joshua and say, hey, it'd be great if you did this. God doesn't leave it up to Joshua and decide if he wants to do this. He directly requires it of him. Joshua is about to assume leadership of the whole nation of Israel. He better start acting like a leader. In the movie Braveheart, I like this one quote in which William Wallace says to the Scottish noble Robert the Bruce, men don't follow titles, they follow courage. And this applies directly in this time now. If I was an Israelite during this time, I would sure hope my leader is strong and courageous. But God is aware of this. He can understand how this might be overwhelming to Joshua. This isn't an easy task. In order for this to happen, Joshua must fully rely on God and his word. But we'll end up seeing that later. But now we come to the next point. God challenges Joshua in verse 7 to a call of obedience. Here we see God challenge Joshua to do all that Moses instructed him. And if we look back in Deuteronomy 31, we will find this command that, jo- that Moses gave to Joshua. He gives relatively the same instruction to be strong and courageous, lead the people to the promised land, and to know that God will be with them. And at this point, all of Israel is curious to see how Joshua will handle this. Once again, this is no small task. The people are looking to someone that they can rally around, follow, and imitate. Now, this call of obedience is not something to take lightly, however. If we look forward in the book of Joshua, we see Achan's sin. And if you don't recall the story, this is the only uh, major screw-up in Joshua. This sin leads to the only failed conquest in the entire book. But anyway, the story of Achan goes like this. When the people were going to take over the land of Jericho, God specifically commanded them not to take any possessions for themselves. Everything was to be burned and destroyed. However, Achan, in his sin, decided that he was going to be greedy, and he took some. Well, God doesn't take this lightly. As I already mentioned, this is the only, this is the only uh, major part of sin that we see in Joshua. But if we were to look even further to Joshua, as we, or Judges, as we had just finished, we see how sin leads... Uh, to a path of destruction and lawlessness. Fortunately, however, God does not withhold the secret on how to obey and follow his laws, but he gives his word as a guideline to us, which brings us to another, uh, which brings us to verse 8. In verse 8, God tells Joshua that the law shall not depart from his mouth. God is stating that Joshua is to talk about the word and challenge others as well as himself. Now Joshua needs to know the law that he needs to know the law as he is about to rid the land of the Canaanites of pagan practices 
and he can't afford the people falling into lawlessness. 1 Timothy 6, 3-5 warns us of this. It says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived in the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Well, case in point, God commands us that we know his word. In fact, we need to know it so well that in the passage, God calls Joshua to meditate on it day and night. Now, meditation is more simple, is, sorry, is more than simply reading or thinking about the passage. Meditation implies reasoning about the word and deducing from it, drawing from it, and seeing how God will act. Now, Joshua only has the first five books so far, and he doesn't have the helicopter view of the Bible the way we do. Nonetheless, God expects Joshua to wrestle with the word and to know it. There can be no exceptions. Something very interesting, however, springs from this challenge that God presents, though. God gives a promise of blessing. Here God tells Joshua that if he follows his commands and meditates on the law, then he will have success and he will make his way prosperous. Now Joshua has already reaped the rewards once. If we can remember back in Numbers when Joshua and Caleb went to spy out the land in Joshua's faithfulness and trustworthiness, God granted him passage into the promised land, but the other ten spies weren't able to make it because of their lack of trust and unfaithfulness to God. However, as we find out later, God will be faithful to his word and will bestow Joshua with success and prosperity. Now, I would like to place a disclaimer on this point of blessing. We know God is very gracious and loving to Joshua. However, just because we can be faithful in reading God's word, going to church, and living out God's calling for, for us, none of it guarantees that we will have blessing, or at least not on our own timetable. Faith and obedience are linked to blessing, but God will choose to work his favor in your life as he sees fit. I think of Job and, jo- and Joseph. Both were men of faith, integrity, and obedience. However, in God's sovereign plan, he decided to bring hardship in their life. This doesn't make God unjust or unfair. However, this merely shows that God has a plan for us all. God is still sovereign in everything he does. And I'd also like to mention that if anyone here is going through a rough time, don't give up hope and know that God does hear your prayers. Galatians 6, 9 points of comfort to us. It says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Well, now we arrive at the third and final point. God bestows comfort on Joshua. In verse 9, God reassures Joshua that he will have nothing to fear, for he will be with him wherever he goes. Now, we obviously know that to be true. We have the whole word, and it's repeated many times. But for Joshua... This had to be a huge reassurance. He just lost Moses, the one who showed him how to lead, and now he has to go and lead a nation into the promised land. 
that God gave to them. But Joshua can take comfort in that God has already been acting in his life. He has been already fulfilling a work in him. In the early stages of Israel's exodus, Joshua is mentioned as an assistant to Moses. In Exodus 17, we see that play out. Moses instructs Joshua to pick men as soldiers and go up and fight the Amalekites, a neighboring country on their way to Canaan. Well, this is the story of Moses, how he has to raise up his arms, and whenever they are up high, God grants success. And whenever Moses drops them, Israel becomes overwhelmed. But in this story, we see how God is present and active with Joshua as he eventually grants him success in the end. I think of another example. We could look again to Joshua and his spine duty. Moses trusted him to bring a report and fulfill his command. Now, Joshua was only able to do this, however, and bring an honoring and trustworthy report back because God enabled him to do so. God supplied the courage Joshua needed to go into the land and know that God has given us this, this, these people into our hands, even though they may have been much, much bigger than them. In addition, God tells Joshua that no man shall be able to stand up against him. If I was Joshua, this would certainly be a major relief as he is about to once again lead a nation. However, it is important to remember that Joshua is not the person that will cause all of this to happen. Although I'm sure Joshua was a great general and a mighty warrior, there is no physical strength or strategic plan that he can come up with that will guarantee success. Instead, God will bring about this all as promised. If I was Joshua, I'd be overjoyed to have such a great leader at my side. In fact, I'd be so happy that when I found out I beat 31 kings, all I could heap upon was praise. And yes, you did hear me right. Joshua 12 has a list of all the kings that Joshua beat. At first, I didn't believe it myself, but the text in the end ends with 31 kings. That's pretty good. But the most comforting verse we still have yet to see is in verse 9. Here we see God reassure Joshua that he has nothing to fear since God will be with him. Furthermore, this is a personal reassurance. Up until this point, Moses was always the one associated with God. He was called the servant of the Lord many times, a title that God didn't bestow on everyone. He had God with him every step of the way during his tenure as Israel's leader. So once again, Joshua could have felt the burden that he had to bear in taking up this huge task. Fortunately, God doesn't change. He remains faithful to Joshua just as he was with Moses. And no title or experience can sway God's opinion in whom he chooses to be faithful to. Now at this point, all the spotlight seems to be on Joshua. However, God paints a picture of Christ even now some 1,400 plus years earlier. Well, first off, Joshua and Jesus have the same name in Hebrew which is Yeshua, meaning God is deliverance. Now, I wouldn't expect any of you to know that, but still a cool fact to know, maybe if you're in trivia or something. Another comparison is the timeline of events. The promise of Canaan and its inhabitation dates back all the way to Abraham when God promised to make him a great nation. 
So spanning from Abraham's line all the way up till Joshua in this present day, all of the Israelite nation has to be wondering, when is God going to make good on his promise? When are we going to have the land that he gave to us? In the same way, the story of Christ is the climax of the Bible. As early as Adam and Eve, we first hear of a promise of a Messiah who will come to crush the serpent's head. And then picking up with the prophets, we see many prophecies foretold of Christ and his awaited arrival. But then there's a 400-year gap, and we're wondering, well, is this ever going to happen? But of course, we know God is always faithful to keep his promises to his people. Finally, we see Christ and his deliverance of his people. In Joshua, we see God call and raise him up to deliver the land for his people. God required Joshua to be faithful and obedient in order to have success. And this all plays out well as Joshua does what God commanded him. Unfortunately, though, we know that Israel falls into sin and they lose the promised land. And then they fall into exile. And when they do return, they remain under Babylonian and Roman rule. Well, and although Joshua did a good job as leader and instructed the people to follow God's word, Joshua isn't enough. He is only human. However, Jesus is enough. Jesus, through perfect obedience, followed God's command and makes it possible for us to strive every day to become more like him through his gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to earth, he lived a sinless life, and he died on the cross and rose again. Jesus did what Joshua couldn't. He was a perfect man who followed perfectly what God told him to do. And thanks to Jesus, we can now go to an eternal home where we will dwell with God and be free from sin forever. Now, Joshua is a great leader and certainly a man that we can look to and admire. However, ultimately, Jesus is the one that we should look to, resemble, and trust. Once again, Joshua did do all that God required of him. He was faithful, he was strong, courageous, and he took the land just as God had promised. But Jesus did all that and more. Because of Jesus, we can do what God requires of us because Jesus empowers us through his life, ministry, and death on the cross. I just think of a few examples when Jesus relied on God's word to resist temptation in the desert. The strength that that must have took to know that God is with him. Or perhaps in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus honestly didn't want to go to the cross, but he knew that God's plan was sovereign and that he had a hope for him. And even still, the strength Jesus showed when he was facing torture and ridicule from the Romans. None of us could bear that burden. But now how does this apply? Obviously, we aren't called to conquer land and overthrow nations. At least I don't think any of you are. But God does call us to leadership, obedience, and to be strong and courageous. Whether that is in the home, work, school, church, or various activities that God has placed you in. We are called to live this out. But chances are, you will meet people that don't agree with you, or at least not for the same reasons. And First Peter 5, 8-10 warns us about this. It tells us that the devil is a prowling like a lion, waiting to feast on the ungrounded. 
And this is exactly why we need to be firm and courageous whenever our actions are challenged. And we need to remember to practice what God requires of us. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I understand this is not easy to follow, especially when we are the minority and the opposition is great. But the reward that we will receive one day is far greater than the torture that we could possess now. And just to end with this, Winston Churchill once said, you have enemies, good. That means you stood for something. We can't be everyone's friend. Instead, we have to stand for the truth. And hopefully one day we can look back on our life and say, I stood for the truth, the greatest truth of all, the gospel revealed in God's word. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for what we see in this passage, Lord, just how you are faithful to Joshua and you provide all the strength that he needs, Lord. And just in Joshua, how we see a man who is faithful and obedient to do what you have for him to do. But even more, Lord, we look to Christ and we see how he has done all of this, Lord. And because he has conquered the grave and given us the Holy Spirit, Lord, we can be all these things because you have allowed it to be so. In Jesus' name, amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you. And may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.